0: Hey guys, this is Michael. Um, Welcome back to the Empathy & Podcast feed. This is uh, episode five of the Mindful Empath series. So just to clarify kind of what's happening here, uh, I am launching a a more kind of a service-based part of this initiative around empathy coaching and mindfulness coaching and so i am doing that by doing eight an eight-part series on facebook live that takes the the concepts of mindfulness and the concepts of empathy and kind of uh, mashes them together into basically what will serve as my um Kind of my foundation for how I hope to move forward uh, with some sort of uh, coaching opportunities in the new year. So, uh, if if that was a, maybe a little bit confusing as to why it's now the mindful empath, it does not mean that empathy and as a podcast is going to end. I uh, absolutely expect. To come back to that and have that be uh, more of the interview-based, as I've talked about in the past, wanting to shift that more uh, fully to an interview-based podcast, which I will be working on for the new year. But I wanted to get back out there, get some content out to you guys. So as I have been doing these Facebook Lives, I've been recording them. In order to share with you on the podcast feed, and again, if if you are listening to this and you are on Facebook, you can uh, find me at Michael Evans, the Mindful Empath. Uh, you can find that page, like that, and uh, listen to or watch if you'd like the other uh, the up other episodes. I have shared those here. I missed. Um, I missed recording number two, actually. So if you're just now listening to this and realize that there was uh, there was an episode that was skipped, it was because I neglected to uh, record that individually. So you can go onto the Facebook page, find that. I will be making some updates to the website uh, to uh, more fully reflect exactly what's going on with me. And uh, yeah. I'm really excited about this opportunity, and I appreciate you guys checking in and listening. So this is episode five of the Mindful Empath series. This is actually on growth, and I talk about uh, neuroplasticity and growth mindset and how those things can inform how the empath uh, goes about their day and how they engage others with a growth and learning, uh, mindset with more curiosity, not less. I appreciate you guys. Uh, listen up. Here is the episode. Hey guys,
1: I am um, appreciative that you are here. We are going to get started in just a minute. I guess it's about three past. I have to switch to my phone again, but that's all right. Um, Today we are going to talk about uh, growth mindset via neuroplasticity and why I think it's keenly important to consider it. Yeah, you like that? Well, I figured you would like that. Um, the force is strong in all of our families. We can all have that energy, the connection. Hi, Paula. Um, so today, yeah, uh, growth by way of neuroplasticity and why I think it's so keenly important to consider this, um, as an empath. Um, but before before I get kicked off and I guess it's about four past and I've got plenty of stuff to talk about as per usual. So I'll probably go ahead and get started. I, um, I have been writing more. And uh, for those of y'all that are members of other Facebook groups that I've shared some of my writing, um, some of this actually might be a repeat, but that's all right. You love me, right? Um, because I think I've shared this one just this past week. But as I was considering kind of the intersection of uh, how we understand growth, How we understand how our brains work, how we learn, and also understand how sometimes we get stuck with our perceptions of our emotions. Kind of like we are challenged to think that we grow in all these other things, but we, uh, but we somehow hold back this uh, idea that uh, emotionally we are learning too. And so I'm going to kind of combine those ideas uh, in in kind of in a single presentation, I guess. Um, Continue, thank you, I love you too, Val. uh, Continue to ask questions on here. Um, When I find a moment to pause, I will make sure that I keep looking at this. I am kind of doing this, I'm doing this from my phone again, unfortunately. uh, So it may be a little bit, different, but that's all right. Um, So yeah, I'm going to start off with um, reading from something that I wrote this past week, and it's called The Present Pain. The healthy empath must endeavor to enter into each moment with a purity of conscience. And by this, I mean that in the moment, right now, this particular variable of time, place, and emotional state It has never existed and never will again. In health, we experience pain and we learn and grow from it. Being healthy is not necessarily the absence of sickness, but the ability to heal. As empaths, we walk the line between past and present. We know that our best selves engage in the energetic moment of now, but that most of the folks we come into contact with are holding on to something in their past that they just can't let loose. It is in our keen sense of awareness and our empathic sensibilities that we are able to come alongside of others and be a witness to their pain, their suffering, and their frustration. Sometimes just being present with them helps them to be present with themselves. One way to help without abruptly attempting to pull them out or forward um, from their emotions, but one way to help is to ask one simple question. What did you learn? It is important to give the appropriate pause and the place for their pain. Listen to their story, feel their pain. Then ask what Did you learn? Our brains are magnificently efficient, even to a fault. It's never not learning, even if our awareness is stuck in trauma. Who they are, their emotional makeup, their attitudes, opinions, and their point of view is not the same. So if they are not the same person... uh, that they were when they first experienced the pain, why would they react the same way now? That's the challenge. But we know the answer, of course, it's trauma. Trauma has a way of pulling us back into the body of our former selves. This is a hard and vulnerable lesson, and valuable one, that we all must learn at some point, but it is in the the learning from this lesson that we lessen the impact the next time around. That's the way it should be, right? That's the inevitability of growth. Have you ever seen a tree that had taken root in the shade? After it found its ground and really began to grow, it twists and contorts and finds its way to get into the best possible position to reach as much light as possible for it to grow. There is a purity of presence that the empath will eventually fall into. It's what the Buddhists call detachment. All that really means is that we hold on lightly to the previous versions of ourselves, to the past definitions and painful traumas, and that we are able to be fully present with no judgment. So there's a lot there to unpack, right? Um, the key thing being is our capacity to learn. Now, up until relatively recently, we're talking probably the early 90s, um, most, or the conventional wisdom of most in the scientific community was that um, once you hit a certain level of maturity, that our brains, uh, that we didn't generate more nerve endings, and that um, the, um, the synaptic pruning, that's the term they use. The synaptic pruning, uh, was mostly cutting off, uh, neural pathways and not generating new ones. So there was, for a long time, I mean, we've, uh, the scientific community has always said, you know, the greatest time of learning. Of development for anyone is during childhood. And that's true. I'm not discounting that, of course. That is absolutely true. But the fact is, is that as we've learned more, as we've studied more, we realized that synaptic pruning uh, does continue for adults, but that neurogenesis, the, the generating of new nerves, and new neural pathways still occurs in adults as well, right? So, I mean, from a from a neuroscience perspective, and this is what's called neuroplasticity, right? And the idea that our that our brains are plastic, that they're malleable. Um, the idea that uh, to embrace to fully embrace the idea that we are still learning, was actually contradictory to what the scientific community had thought about up until that point. So how does that affect us? Well, I mean, culturally, I think it affects us quite a bit, right? I think that for a while there, the idea of a convalescent period, or even convalescent homes it wasn't just that we were um taking care of uh the the older folks in our community and they needed a space for them there was this there was this notion that there wasn't as much for them to uh, produce and provide the community as the remainder you know we're talking about you know quite a while ago right well, the attitudes have changed. We're constantly learning, regardless of our age. And in fact, the um, a little bit more of the science on it, which I thought was really, really interesting, was um, we, uh, in the adult brain, we produce 700 new neurons in the hippocampus per day. And that might not sound like a lot because we have, uh, trillions of billions or billions of trillions, one of those, uh, uh, neurons in, in our brain. And so 700 seems like a very small number. But the idea behind that, when you do the math, actually, is by the time we are 50, we will have replaced all of the neurons in our hippocampus with adult-born neurons. Again, the idea being that they didn't even think that was possible at one point, that we weren't generating new neurons and new uh, synaptic uh, connections. Why is that so important? Why do I get all nerdy on neuroscience sometimes? Because, y'all, science shows us that there is always opportunity to grow. So a lot of times I want to kind of settle into a foundational kind of principle with how I understand what it means to be an empath where the that foundational principle is that we are always growing always in fact talking about nerves like dying and regenerating did you realize that over A years span we will actually shed at the cellular level we will shed uh, enough cells that equal our current body weight that is mind-blowing (laughs) y'all we are literally physiologically not the same person as we were a year ago and so I, I mean to me of course the um the things that we can extrapolate from that are uh tremendous I mean, I, I can get a little bit more philosophical about that and say, who you are right now is not the same person that you were a year ago physiologically, so again, why why would we hold to old patterns? Why would we?" Allow ourselves to not grow in some aspect of our life, but continue to grow in another now it's a challenge don't get me wrong it's It's not something that we can um uh we, we sometimes we don't pick and choose our perspective depending on the part of a lot of our life that we're trying to Investigate that if we're being really introspective, you know I can say well, I feel like i've growth i feel I feel like i 've grown spiritually where i've investigated i've read i've considered i've i've 've done the inner work that allows new neural pathways to be created and for our my neurons to spark um, when it comes to how I think about spirituality. But I don't do that when I think about my vocation. You know? And, and I, th- I think it's, um, I think it's especially uh, interesting when we start looking at the idea of growth mindset versus fixed mindset. So we're going to come back to my notes here. And I'm going to share a little bit more on the social sciences part, um, some studies, and we're going to then connect the dots. So let's see, because there's hope for healing of our brains from trauma. Absolutely. And new growth spells hope. Yes. And that's where, you know, I try to, um, especially the mindful part of me, right? The mindful empath, The mindful part of me, Wants to consistently try to stay in the now, stay in the present, um, not, uh, not, uh, ref- not always reflecting or pulling back how I had behaved due to that particular emotion in that particular instance back then, or even to the point of projecting forward too much. But you can have hope in the present moment and to me the idea of growth mindset is really in fact i wrote it um let's see if mindfulness is the mindset of being present in the moment a growth mindset allows for the possibility for infinite opportunities for growth in every moment so we're not putting all of our eggs in that basket pushing it into the future and saying, hope everything's okay. That That's not, that's kind of not the point, right? The, the the point here being that there is such a, um, there is something bubbling up in every interaction, every engagement, every opportunity that we have in the present moment. There is so much opportunity there that Go anywhere. We're not necessarily tying ourselves to any one of those outcomes. Again, kind of very holding it very, very lightly. But that hope, the the fact that, that all that possibility is right there, that gives us life absolutely. So let me go a little bit to to the science in the nineteen nineties, and and again. The, the thing that's amazing about some of these studies that I'm finding in neuroscience and even the social sciences is how there was a boom in the 1990s in regards to brain science. Um, it's when uh, the Italian researcher, I'm going to forget his name, well, I can find it and put it in the notes, but the Italian researcher found uh, uh, found the uh, mirror neurons, Right. Um, a lot of the research in uh, limbic, in the limbic region of the brain, um, in regards to uh, resonance happened in the 90s. And then also in the 90s, um, Cynthia Early and Carol Dweck. Now, Carol Dweck is a name that you will probably want to jot down. Um, I don't have her book, but I'm going to get it. Her book is called Mindful. And this, uh, a lot of the material that I've got today is based on her work. Well, even prior to writing that book, when she was doing the research in order to establish some of these ideas back in the 90s, she and Cynthia Early found that when children observe other children, those who believe personality is fixed make more rigid. General, uh, generalized, and long-term social judgments than those who believe that personality can change. You say that again. Uh, children, uh, when children observe other children, the ones who believe personality is fixed, they make more rigid, generalized, and long-term social judgments than those who believe that personality can change. Children with fixed mindsets about human qualities get strong first impressions. Do we know adults like this? They get strong first impressions that are resistant to change even upon encountering contradictory evidence. It feels a little prescient to the current climate regarding science, right? Folks with fixed mindsets feel like they are constantly being measured against what they already know, right? The idea of mastery of something only can go as far as the limit of their current knowledge of it. Very rarely do they risk. Very rarely do they see, um, when others risk. They, they don't celebrate achievement of others because it feels like an attack on their own self worth. Their self worth is so wrapped up into, uh, achievement and into what they currently know. Um, they believe that their intelligence, their qualities, their abilities are set in stone. And how often do we treat, uh, not just, um, you know, ad- adults, but especially children, you know, oh, well, he's just good at X. She's just really proficient at Y. And we, uh, we pigeonhole sometimes, oftentimes, um, into specific activities because we see an excellence there and we want to hitch our wagons to that and say we need to see that to its fullest extent because there is an achievement. There is some sort of goal or prize out there uh, that when you're really good at one thing that you are able to kind of follow that along as pa- as a parent. I am con- constantly challenged with the idea that I want my child, my children, to be as um, as open and diverse about their interests as possible. I'm not going to feed one um, one interest over the other just because I feel like we need to make that one, you know. Like this incredibly strong thing. I mean, I'm going to go off book here a little bit, but you see it in, especially you see it in youth athletics, and like a, a, a Olympic uh, Olympic trained athletes. Uh, you see at a young age a little girl that has um, skills in, or a little girl or a little boy that has skills in gymnastics. And then you put them in like a year-round gymnastics program or ice skating or soccer or football. Uh, Growing up in Southern California, there was an urban legend, which is true, which was true and wasn't completely urban legend. There was a story about a father who um, was grooming his son to be a quarterback for the University of Southern California, which is one of my college teams because I grew up there. So he was grooming his kid to be a quarterback. He wanted him to go to USC. He ended up going to USC. He also saw a value in his child being a left-handed quarterback, specifically. Um, so when he would practice with him, he would tie his right arm behind his back in order for him to get the repetition and get the experience in throwing with his left hand. Why do I bring that up? one the obsessiveness <laughs> off the charts, but two, it's the relationship that we sometimes have with exceptionalism and with achievement um the with the idea that what you do is more important than who you are and that is really unfortunate because we are uh not always we're, we're creating we're creating a generation of children with a fixed mindset we're we're creating a generation of children that say i know what i'm Going to do this is the one thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to do. I'm going to learn and get as good of it, as good at it, at it as possible. And I am just going to march towards that one thing. And you create a generation of kids with a fixed mindset. And if they fail at it, what do they have left? They are not risk taker takers, like I said earlier, and they do what they know. Now, growth mindset. Carol Dweck, in her book, um, uh, mindset, I believe it's called mindset. She says, with a growth mindset, the hand you're dealt is just the starting point for development. Growth mindset is based on the understanding that your basic qualities are the things you cultivate through effort and activity. So there is an idea of effort and activity uh, and of effort, but really the baseline here is that what we were saying is you see the opportunity to grow and expand in everything that you do. You're not restricting yourself to to a fixed point or to a fixed goal. With a growth mindset, you realize that change is possible and that change is necessary. And perhaps even that change is inevitable, right? I mean, that's what we just learned from neuroplasticity. Change is inevitable. We can use our um, our inherent gift of neuroplasticity and our ever evolving and changing brain, we can use that to better our uh, our skills across many disciplines rather than just one Failure for somebody with a growth mindset is not the end of the game; it's not the end of the chapter. Failure is a opportunity to learn. I, I remember early on in the podcast, I talked about being a product manager. So in my um, in my nine to five, I do, I help teams do software development. Now I am not a technical person, by any, by any kind of measure, um, uh well but I shouldn't say that. See, that that's me that I'm proving my point. <laughs> that is a fixed mindset. I, I I could be. I could be that. I realize that. Um up until now I have not been a very technical person. Um but the reason why I bring this up is that as a product manager and especially in the system that we employ, we talk about Uh, the concept of iterations, that any progress that we make towards an ultimate goal is really never-ending, that we're constantly improving, that there really is no final, final product that we are putting out into the market. We are constantly going back and retooling it. We are looking at our failure points as opportunities for enhancement. We don't look at it as something that's broken, but something that is telling us how to better um, manage it, how to better shift around it and move pieces around in order to continue to march forward. A growth mindset in our personal lives takes the same approach, right? there is no one uh there is no one end goal to how we uh, live our lives necessarily that's why th- th- this is something else i don't have this written down but i'll do a little bit of a of a riff here that's why when the idea of um of uh do writing down new year's resolutions always bristle at that. that 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 kind of rubs me the wrong way and it's not that having goals are necessarily bad but it, and I realize how woo woo this might sound but I am much more intrigued and energized by the idea of intention than I am as a goal um because goals now this might sound cynical, but goals uh, can be missed. goals can be adjusted goals can goals have a little bit more of a static rather than a dynamic um, feel to them. An intention is different; it allows us to align ourselves with values that are evergreen. Never changing it allows us to align ourselves with this idea of growth with the idea that our brains and our bodies are constantly shifting and changing and moving, and we can inform it. We have the opportunity to look at uh, our our activities. Our internal uh, dialogues, uh, the way in which we inhabit the world, we have the opportunity to look at this as an iterative process right i'm a forty six year old man you'd think that I would be baked not not that kind of baked you You'd think that I would be a relatively uh a relatively completed product at 46 years old hell no (laughs) and i am sure that the majority of the people watching this would agree you know but for so uh, for so many of us especially within the spiritual conversation and religious circles we get the idea that we have hit a certain We have hit a certain understanding or a certain point, and there's nowhere else to go. There's nothing beyond that fixed point. Hmm. That's a scary moment to to get to, y'all, in my mind. If we feel like we are, if we feel that we have reached a finish line, in regards to our personal development and our spiritual growth, I, I I would have a big challenge with that. And in fact, next week I'll use this opportunity as a plug for next week. Next week we are going to talk about certainty. So we're kind of reverse engineering how um, how perhaps to best look at Um, how we grow as human beings, physically, spiritually, and how certainty by its nature inhibits growth. Um, And that's going to scare a lot of folks, but I imagine those are the folks that are probably already not watching. (laughs) Or maybe they are on on the slide. Um, All right. So how does all of this relate to the empath? All right, y'all. Here's the deal. If we are constantly growing, and I've already kind of said a little bit, a, a little bit of this already, but if we are constantly growing, if we recognize that, our, um, that both our physical state, our emotional state, our spiritual state, are always in a uh, are always growing or have the opportunity to grow <clears throat> how we relate to that and relate to others empathically absolutely uh is affected right so from and actually. Next week, we're talking about certainty. The week after that, I think we're talking about empathic relationships. So we might revisit some of this conversation in the next two sessions. Because when we look at uh, how how we engage each other in empathy, what I know about myself and how I could be fixed In one element of my life. But have a growth mindset in another. I need to be willing to see that. In others. I need to be willing to listen. To stories. I need to be willing. To let curiosity. Be my guide. Right? I need to be willing. To know. That what we do. Both physically and cognitively, what we do um, informs and really coalesces uh, um, when we do it over a significant amount of time. So that that may have come out disjointed, but uh, I think I think this will help because I did write part of this. Um, the growth mindset is the key to unlocking the insatiable appetite for curiosity that we must cultivate as empaths. We need to be able to turn it inward to ourselves, have some empathy for ourselves, and be able to turn it outward. So, okay. Jennifer. I asked her, she sent me an article this past week that was wonderful, and I asked her if she would be ready to post this in The comments and y'all I would really take the you know five to ten minutes to read it after we're done here um it's it's fascinating because it kind of in kind of captures a little bit about what I'm of, of what I'm talking about the idea of cognitive bypassing now anybody that has heard me or listened to me or read anything that I've written in the last number of years um know that I talk about spiritual bypassing on a, uh, on a pretty consistent basis. The idea that we can bypass, thank you, Jennifer, that the idea that we can bypass our, uh, emotional state, we can bypass, um, how we are feeling by uh, taking some uh, psychic, which it kind of is, some psychic shortcut to a better version of our current state of affairs. Um, we spiritually bypass when we are unable and unwilling to sit with our own emotions or somebody else's emotions and immediately get to, it'll get better. We spiritually bypass when we attribute some amount of divine intervention or um, or, or some amount of, uh, um, I hate to use the word hope, but it's the one that's coming to my brain. So I'm going to use it and then let me explain it. We allow ourselves to bypass the real hard work of being with our emotions. If we're never with our emotions long enough because we consistently land on this idea of, of hope and what is coming in the future from a, um, from a divine perspective if you want to layer that in. Does that make sense? Because what well, we just talked about, right? Neuroplasticity, learning, growth, not seeing failure as some sort of condemnation on our personhood <laughs> or, or some sort of condemnation on our ability to do something right That's not that that can't be how we perceive failure, and I think oftentimes we we come up against a hard emotion, shame, grief, anger, hatred, sometimes we bump up against these things, and we don't take the time to look inward, have some empathy with ourselves, and what do I mean? when i say that it it's exactly what it sounds like what do we talk about when we say we're having empathy for somebody else we sit with them we don't try to change them we allow them to express their feelings and their emotions and their current state of affairs and we listen to their story y'all we need to be doing that for ourselves and don't think that you know the the story, if you're not listening to your emotions, and so the idea of spiritual bypassing is that we are not doing um, we are not doing the hard work of sitting with our emotions when we allow um, some sort of shortcut, yeah, psychic shortcut. So cognitive bypassing. Now, this is a little bit tricky because I read that and it really struck me. And then I was thinking more about it today. And I have a little bit of a challenge with that. So I really encourage you all to read it. I know Jennifer has. So I may I may give my opinion here. And, um, and maybe if, if you all get a chance to read it, uh, come back and listen to my opinion again and see if it makes sense. And give me some feedback. Tell me what you think. See, because I, I think the biggest challenge here is to assume that a change of thought is merely a cognitive uh, process. Now, that sounds ridiculous because, of course, it's a cognitive process. But what did we just talk about with neuroplasticity? A change of idea, a cognitive shift, in conjunction with new experience, physically changes our brain. So while it might start as a um, cognitive idea, if if we align that and embody that as well, somehow then we are physically changing ourselves. So this is where I think it kind of shifts a little bit for me. And and I think, honestly, the author of the article would say so too. Um, When we allow ourselves exposure to information and experiences combined with a certain amount of time learning, that is what kind of triggers this idea of both growth mindset and the neuroplasticity that it it requires, right? So it's information, which yes, that's very cognitive information. But if you combine that with experience, this is why mindfulness is so important. Mindfulness isn't about staying in the brain in 100% introspection all of the time. It is about combining disciplines, moving our body, trusting our emotions, listening and feeling our emotions, and fully kind of inhabiting our body and our space to understand that our moods and feelings connected to our gut and our instinct and emotions that it is all one thing and that you can change here combine that with some sort of embodied uh, practice meditation walking plants what are the things that I was talking about last week with cultivate, with mindful cultivation, mindful appreciation, and mindful meditation? If you, if you combine these things and you put it all in one package, then you're not just leaving it for a change of idea, a change of mind. We don't, we don't effectively, uh, we don't effectively learn anything unless we are, unless we are uh, doing some sort of experiential and physical thing along with it. We we've learned this about teaching and development over time, have we not? That for most, in order to really learn a thing, you need to be able to keep it up here, but doing something with our hands, enhances our ability to learn. So I just wanted to make sure that in this conversation, um, while I do agree we can't merely leave it to our cognitive state to change our current reality, I do believe that that in conjunction with some amount of embodied discipline uh, absolutely rewires our brain physically. Y'all should Google it. Go on to YouTube. It's incredible. I mean, you know, you can see cross sections of the hippocampus and the idea that the uh, that new uh, nerve endings and new synaptic um connections are being created over time it physically changes our brain they've also studied incredibly enough the weight now this was in mice but the <laughs> the idea extrapolates out obviously to adults or to humans but um a significant amount of of uh new activity um and you know learning new learning new I'm thinking about the mice right now, but learning uh learning new new mazes uh different activities that they were not that they weren't doing before you've got you know one group of mice doing those things, and other mice in a different space with nothing around them to challenge them. They would weigh the brains, and the, the weight of the ones that were doing the new thing were heavier. The idea that the uh, our brains actually change mass when we learn new things. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. Irony. Um... Okay, I know we only have about 10 minutes left, but I want to bring this back to the empath again. So if you are a highly sensitive empathic person, but operate from a fixed mindset, you will find yourself saying these following words very often, always, never, um, I always act like an emotional sponge. I can never discern my own feelings and emotions um, from others when I'm around them. That's that's a fixed mindset. And that can get dangerous, to be completely honest. Because as highly sensitive, empathic people... Um we do need to practice a discipline of discernment, discernment and detachment to be able to to be able to exist side by side and not be enmeshed. A good amount of healthy interdependence, not co dependence. We need to be able to recognize where our energy ends and where somebody else's begins, and that takes discipline. That takes both uh, thinking differently, but uh, but uh, obviously it, it takes you. Know, it takes doing life differently. It takes you know engaging and embodying with other people uh, differently. The empath with a growth mindset will be able to navigate the rough seas of adversity because they've been there and done that. Louisa May Alcott has a great quote. She says, I am not afraid of storms, for I am learning to sail my ship. Love that. I actually found another quote that I was going to say earlier, but now that I'm thinking about it, Einstein, he said, It's not that I'm so smart, it's just that I stay with problems longer. I love that. Because if it connects us back to this understanding that we are actually sitting with our adversity and sitting with our challenges and sitting with our emotion and learning from it, allowing it to teach us then that will bring us to new levels of innovation and understanding, not just for ourselves, but for other people, right? You are a unique and beautiful wildflower. Absolutely. You are made of stardust. Your thoughts and emotions are not unique to you, right? That's the whole kind of idea behind being able to be connected with other people emotionally and empathically and energetically. It is understanding that this human experience that I am going through, I recognize that in you, right? And that in order to truly learn growth mindset, neuroplasticity, in order to truly Learn, we reject the idea of failure. Everything that we experience is an opportunity to learn and grow. Everything. Y'all, I've been married and divorced twice. I sure as hell hope that I've learned something from it. So does Jennifer, I bet. But (laughs) I, we cannot create these uh, emotional ghettos in our brain that separates the idea of growth uh, depending on, you know, the discipline or, or the part of our life. It needs to all be combined. <laughs> yeah, okay, let me see what, okay, Paula. Always, never, should, ought, and what if are words I encourage anxious clients to remove from their vocabulary. Yep. They're anxiety producing because they attempt to know the future or predict outcomes. Big wasted energy. Absolutely. And that's the reason, in kind of going back to what I said earlier about goals versus intentions, it's part of the reason why I've kind of rejected the idea of resolutions and goals is because you're tying your, uh, oftentimes, it's, it's kind of well, i don't know if it's human nature i i'm starting to reject that idea but uh it is definitely the culture that uh drives this idea that we are tying ourselves to a particular outcome if we achieve it you are golden if you don't you failed ah, i don't think that's healthy right i don't think that's healthy how do we see our learning and our growth as an iterative, iterative process? That the version you see right now, both physiologically, cellularly, my brain, the seven hundred new nerves that are created in the, in the hippocampus within uh, uh, what was the, what was the time frame? 700 neurons on the hippocampus per day, per day. We're generating all new versions of ourselves all the time. Let's act like it. <laughs> Let's embrace it. All right. I only have a couple minutes left. Um, the three things that I think you could take away of about this idea of neuroplasticity and and growth mindset, and that is how do we enact on it how do we how do we use what we've learned and uh move forward with it um, The first is that you have to have a why right purpose. Um, it has to be concrete enough to you to take up a prominent place in your mind and in in your energy. You need to be able to um, believe that what, that's number two, you need to be able to believe, and yes, that, that does rely on a lot of the cognitive part of of embracing this. But you need to to, you need to know why and you need to be able to believe that this next version of you is a little bit closer to the you that you uh want to inhabit in the world. And the third is consistency. And this is where it kind of brings up the embodiment. I've been trying to um, I've been trying to start a writing discipline, and I do most days, I do, I, I, I've done six out of seven days, I don't do Sundays because I'm doing this with you guys, um, but for the last couple, few weeks, I have to go back and count to see how many, I get up, make my coffee, I sit down, and I write. Um. I don't put a particular uh, goal on how much I write. I start with a prompt, and I just write. That discipline, that consistency of having the big why, that I'm trying to get more ideas for, for this, that I have a belief that there is something that I... Find it's that's important to say and then be consistent about it. So, I mean, it, it's something that I think is a valid, um, it's a valid routine to kind of pick up and place in other parts of my life. Victor Frankel's logotherapy says a human can bear with almost any how. He or she has a why. Yeah. Frankel, that, that's somebody else. Victor Frankl's is somebody else that um I need to read more on. I know he's got a lot of good stuff. Um Yeah. I think that's it, y'all. Um here, I'll I'll, I'll end with this the empath with the growth mindset inspects their hardships not to wallow, but to understand and move through them. It's not about spiritually bypassing. It's not about cognitively bypassing. It's neither of those things if we are actually allowing ourselves both to um, to be kind to ourselves to look inward with some empathy on ourselves in order to understand that human experience just a little bit better and in doing so we are going to exercise a lot of that kindness with the folks that are around us around us when we uh, engage in empathy and in and, and those relationships. So I appreciate you guys. That is time. Um, I appreciate you. Thank you, Paula. I am so uh, honored that you would take some time on your Sunday mornings to listen. And for anybody that's listening right now, uh, right now or on the replay, um, if this is the first time you've checked it out, go to the Michael Evans, The Mindful Empath page, and all of the other videos are saved there, if you're interested. Now, I will say this just here at the, at the very end. Um, these sessions, of which this is number, is this number five. And yeah, this is number five, I only have three more. I considered not doing this one because of Thanksgiving. But honestly I wanted to keep it because um the eighth one will happen the week before uh the week of Christmas, December twentieth. So I figured it was better to, to keep it happening. But I realize that these are a little bit dense, maybe a little bit long. Um you know, at being an hour each. Uh I think going forward in the new year when I do these, they'll probably be a little bit shorter um and just because I want to maintain uh, a little bit of um, or uh, or or hold back maybe some of the things that I'm learning and writing uh in order to put that in other forums and in other avenues and again all of this uh all of all of this will kind of get um, transformed into a um, kind of a a a coaching opportunity for folks that want to go through this material uh, one-on-one in person and have even more of an interactive flair than this does. So um, if this has uh, touched you in any way, I would appreciate a share um, and to get more folks listening to it. Uh, And really, that's just... Um, me rejecting the notion that I need to pay Facebook for, for advertising. So I'm trying to do the grassroots thing. Um, rather than having, rather than paying Facebook. I really don't want to pay Facebook. So, okay, you guys, I love you. Uh, it's 10.03 Central Standard Time and wherever it is, wherever you are, much love. Have a wonderful Sunday. Hi guys